are wrapping up the book of 1 John this morning. And when I say wrap up, I don't mean that it's been exhaustive. It just never is. One of the things I've learned about preaching is every time I, I start into an area of the Word of God, I'll think, wow, this is the summation of it. And all of a sudden, it just explodes and implodes way beyond I, what I ever saw. But we're coming down to the end of the writing. We have been here for several months now. And John is sharing his heart as he comes to the end. A lot of times, as I read many of the epistolary writings, I think, what are the takeaways that the writer is giving? What is the last things that he's giving? What's the last things in his heart? And we're going to see that one of the, the deep burdens in the heart of John as he's, as he's wrapping up, one of the last takeaways, we're going to see it as we enter into this, is a desire that his church prays with discernment. And that we are focused and clear in our prayers. And that earlier, and we'll read this together, but earlier he has taught about how we have this unction of the Holy Spirit. We have this tremendous power of God that gives us the power to pray. But now he begins to say that we will pray with discernment. Our heart, our spirit will be in connection with God's heart to pray where God wants us to pray. Now, I invite you to read with me. I want to begin reading in chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. If you have a Bible, you can read it along. We're planning to leave our text up on the screen this morning. Uh, as we talk through the text, we'll go back. But also, for those of you that may have got here not too long ago, right in front of you is a Bible. If we, we teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and you're welcome just to use the Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, take it home. You're welcome just to take that Bible to, to your home and use it there. But together, let's read this, this last portion of Scripture beginning in verse 14. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked from him. And this is really where we're going to begin this morning. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give for him, for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. I've titled this message, Praying with Discernment. And what we're going to see as we enter into it this morning is John begins to 
as he has talked about this great confidence we have in the Lord because he's given us eternal life and we have this great prayer connection with God, he begins to speak to us in the first couple verses here about the importance of discerning prayers. Many times people come to us or write us a letter and they'll ask, how can we pray, pray for you? And I will just tell you what I share continually. Just pray that God can give me discernment. But as we look at this this morning, I want us to, uh, and we want to, we, we're going to be looking at the first couple of verses here, and John is speaking to a group of believers that were very scattered, and yet they loved Jesus, and he's also speaking of community on a level that is so vital. He has been teaching us about love and forgiveness and about fellowship and about knowing who we are in Jesus and walking with Jesus all the way. And now he stops and he begins to speak about targeting God in prayer in the first part of this. If anyone, verse 16, sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. Now I want us to notice this as we look at this text. He says, if anyone, it's not a select few. What God is calling the church to do is to begin to focus in prayer and begin to discern in prayer. And notice where he begins, his brother. Now the definition for the word brother here is, the first is that brother in Christ. But it extends out. It speaks of, about the people that we work with, the family members that we know. But what he's saying here is he said, if you see your brother commit a sin, not leading to death, you ask God, and God will give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. You know what it's saying? If you ask God, God's going to answer. Now what it doesn't say, it doesn't say, okay, you see your brother's sin is sin that's not leading to death. It's not saying, okay, just go tell other people. It doesn't say, just chat about it, give it time. It just says, take it to God. Many times what John is saying is, church, you are so powerful. You have the unction of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God. Go to God and God will answer the prayer. God builds bridges. God opens the door. He provides the way. And John here is saying, he will ask, and, and God will give for him, for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. Now he differentiates at the end of this sentence. He says, there is a sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should make requests for this. And John is simply saying, be discerning here. Think it through, look, pray, seek God. And if you see your brother sin a sin, pray to God. In the church, pray to God, and the, and the word of God promises God will give life. God will, will answer that prayer when you see your brother sinning, sinning a sin. Maybe it might just be he's getting colder. Or you see lovelessness growing in his life or maybe just a distance and, I, and one of the things that I read that really blessed me is 
in regarding this is this is such a privilege for intercessory prayer. One of the great powerful privileges to the Christian is to intercede on behalf of other people. That is, you go to God and you say, God, uh, I can't do it, but you can. And God will change this. And this is what is so powerful about God is God answers prayer. He changes lives. He doesn't always do it. And we looked at that last week like we just want. We might say, God, fix this like this. God's not a fix-it man. God's working at the heart. We'll see this a little bit, little bit later here. But what I see that John is saying is be discerning in prayer. Allow spiritual discernment to guide your prayer life. Ask God to give you wisdom and insight. This is just something that has happened. We have literally spent hundreds and hundreds of hours in foreign countries in the middle of the night, not sleeping because of jet lag. And you know what I pray for? The number one thing, discernment. God, help me see beyond the outward to the inward. Help me to see the need and not just the want. Help me to see in where you want me to see and not where I might first see. Because often what we first see, we miss. That's why God says don't judge. When you judge, you're gonna miss. That's why he calls that off limits. Now today when we think about this, he says there is a sin leading to death. I'll get to that in just a minute. I do not say we should make requests for that. Sometimes we get locked up in that and it becomes a source of controversy and argument and really, I believe, probably we're, we're speaking, one brother came up after church last service, and really what we're speaking about is sins of unrepentance and unbelief in which we willfully are rejecting the living God. And what John is saying is, be discerning there. You might need to change the focus of the prayer. The manner through which you pray. We, you know, sometimes our first thing is, God, just make them happy. Just, just do that. But God sees something else. Thursday night, we were privileged to attend in Dry Ridge, Kentucky, my son's graduation when he left his wife and four children for nine months. And he went to a place, you can call it a spiritual boot camp, it's called PLM, that's the words. And the agony through which he went through for that time as a young man to say, Lord, I want to reset and become more and more like you, Jesus. But what happened is Deb and I was able to sit out in the congregation and three men stood up with their counselors who had been working with them over the course of nine months and they all said the same thing. We came here to get fixed. We came here because some things weren't working at home and we're leaving here because we have had an encounter with the living God. When you're a father sitting out there, and that's your son, and he's 30 years old, and you worked together for over 10 years, and when you said goodbye to the business, he took it on, and he just surrendered his position in the business completely, going home to no job because God had spoke to him. When that happens, it cannot change you. What, it cannot do anything but change you. You know today what's going on in America, most of you, you men more than the women, but it's the day that a couple of the major football games are going in America. 
And what the typical fan sees as you look out there is you see 22 people in the middle of the arena running back and forth. But on the sidelines are about 15 coaches. And they're discerning every move out there in that stadium. They're watching the line. They're watching the defensive backs. They're watching the running backs. They're watching the ends. They're watching the quarterback because they know the only way they're going to win that game is to be focused. What John is saying here is to be focused in prayer. It is easy to just put a huge broad brush on prayer. It kind of swipes over the top. When I was a little guy, I can still remember one of the first prayers I used to pray is, Lord, bless all conditions of mankind in your church and people everywhere. Amen. That's not what John's writing here. What's amazing is you're like the coach. If you've been given the Spirit of God, you are full of the Spirit of God, and God has given you the power of discernment to be able to sense spiritual warfare, spiritual decline, spiritual movement, and God says pray through John's writing. Pray a discerning prayer that they can see Jesus. Pray they can come back. Everyone here has impossible situations that surround us in our Christian lives. It's just that way. You never get over them. I've, I've noticed that before. This one, gets, this one kind of gets cleared out, and God just puts this one up here. But one of the wonderful things about prayer that oftentimes we Christians don't realize is the intercessory blessing and power of prayer knows no limits. When we just keep praying for other people, that they will be blessed, that they will see Christ, oftentimes... But God's got to work in my heart because it can't be just a fix-it God prayer. Because sometimes what God sees, we don't see always. God sees the inside. We see the outside. We see the hands. We see the feet. God sees the heart. But that doesn't take away this need through the Spirit to begin to pray in a discerning way in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through, through 32 Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy, you could probably replace that word unworthy with irreverent manner, shall be guilty of the blood and body, body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eat, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this, many, many, for this reason, many among you are weak and, sick, weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we would, be ju we would judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now what... Paul is writing to as a church that was making light of the Lord's table and the Lord's supper. They were reaching a point that it was no longer the precious place that God designed the Lord's table to be as they were taking the communion. But notice how much privilege he's given to the believers. He says, I'm giving you the privilege to judge yourself, discern inwardly. Let God speak to you. But go to God, hear from God. There is a place in every Christian life that we must crowd out every other voice completely. 
to hear directly from God. But there's something else he says here. And he says, for this cause, some didn't judge themselves, and they're weak and sickly, and even some sleep. And there are many who see, see that, and I would not take this away, that God actually has taken, has taken from someone their life because they failed to judge themselves. Sickness sets in because, you know, it's just like this. You let worry build up, and you let it build up. You don't judge it and say, God, this is sin. It just wears us out. It's like a weight we carry that's too big for us. It's going to just keep on dragging us down and taking us slower and lower. It's a guarantee of the Word of God. You'll see it. Jesus addressed that so much. But when we see this, there's another part of discerning in prayer. Somewhere you have belief and you have unbelief. If you see your brother sinning a sin that's not a death, now we've got a believing brother. Pray, let God restore, give cleanse, heal, rebuild, whatever he can do. We don't, he doesn't need for us to tell him how to do it. He already knows how to do it. But there's another part of prayer, and that is out there sometimes without even recognizing it first, there's unbelief. And maybe someone has never even saw Jesus. Never even saw. We're trying to patch them up. We're trying to put another Band-Aid, but, but, John, but, but Paul is speaking about this. You be discerning. He's speaking about judging yourself, but he also says, look what's happened as God speaks, and I give this to you because uh, I have stood there with you in awe of God, and when God finally speaks, you don't say nothing. There's nothing left to say. When God brings his judgment down, it's done. It's, it's like the Tower of Babel. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. When God finally speaks, but there's a place when you see that a brother or sister, maybe a neighbor, a friend, is getting so close to an edge, he says, don't pray for this. No, hold it. He doesn't say pray for that sin. He doesn't reject that. What he says is, I don't say pray the same way. You're praying for someone's salvation their total repentance, their brokenness, their humility, whatever it takes from God's side to bring them to them. You know what was amazing by the, about those three men? Every, single, every, every one of those men said, I came here to get fixed, and I left because I saw the living God. You see, that's what it's all about in every church. If we miss that, we have missed everything. It doesn't matter how long we've came. If we miss the living God, we miss everything. And prayer is that hand that moves the world that brings salvation down. But the discernment of prayer is really amazing. It's a challenge. Uh, a colleague that came into our life about eight or nine years ago, maybe 10, I think he told me 10 years ago, I'm just going to call him DW. He came to Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. He was going to be my boss for many years on the railroad. And we began, the first time I saw him, he had cowboy boots on, an old cowboy hat, and he came walking into my office in Washington, and he says, uh, you'll be working with me and I'll be working with you. And there's one thing I'm going to tell you right away, I don't like pastors. I said, really? No, he says, they're phony. They're an act. They play games. And him and I took off, and we took like a six-hour ride. And little by little, it was quite a journey over the course of years. But one thing I found about this DW is DW did love the Lord. He had really been messed up. 
And as the years went on, the relationship deepened to the place that now he's been retired two or three years. And I can expect every two weeks, here comes a, here comes a text from DW. Here comes a phone call with a voicemail. Because what happened is we, a relationship was developed by God in DW's life that I had no, I didn't even want it to be frank. I didn't even want it. And DW came to the place that he would start opening up and said, I've never told anyone this. This is my week. This is where I'm struggling. Here's an addiction. Here's a trial. I want to quit. I can still remember going to our cabin in the Soquelmi Pass with DW, and I was so tired, been leading meetings all day, and I wanted to go to bed so bad, and DW sat there, and we slept one hour because he just kept opening up his heart. But something happened in DW's life. I'm speaking about deserting prayer. He challenged my prayer life to remember that guy and hold him up, get my mind off myself, and remember others. And what happened in DW's life is I started watching him grow. As a Christian, he started coming to life. Now, we're no longer talking about pastors and what hurt over there or whatever. Now we're talking about the living God and how real he is. And all of a sudden, what it first looked like, it wasn't just the prayers that God put in our heart. I will tell you this, if he, if he walks in these doors, he said he's going to come here one of these days and spend the weekend. If he walks in these doors, he'll tell you I've always been his pastor ever since he met me. He'll go to a church in Dallas, Texas, and he'll walk up to the pastor and tell the pastor, you're not really my pastor. My pastor lives in Phoenix, Arizona. That's just who he is. He's as tough a guy as you'll ever run into. But God touched his heart. And the word of God speaks about being discerning in prayer. Your brother, the movement, the change. But there's also another side of discernment, and I'm going to give you this a little tougher, really, but uh, the stories about DD. And I began to work with DD as a young minister in California, young pastor, and DD had a lot of problems, but he was working for me. And we loaned him $300 one day. A week later, I find out DD has left his wife, he left his three kids. He went back into western Kansas. He went to the old church he used to go, go to. He grabbed the girl from the church, and they headed down to Odessa, Texas. And now I'm praying different. I'm just giving you this. I'm praying different. It's not about the 300 bucks. It's about a movement in the life of an individual that shows a movement greatly away from God. Greatly away from God. The day came that D.D. was driving his car at midnight, loaded with white paint in the back of a station wagon, heavily intoxicated with his girlfriend, pulled over in what he thought was the side of the road, but he pulled over in the first lane, and a Cadillac going 100 miles an hour came and hit him from behind. And she died. And the church said, here's some money, Go and tell D.D. what God told you to tell him. And I went. I can still remember walking in that hospital shaking. It happened between Midland and Odessa, Texas, and shaking and shaking. But I knew what I was telling. D.D., God has spoken. And this might be the last time you'll ever hear from God. Prayer had changed. It wasn't the same. It wasn't looking the same. It was nothing. 
A few months later, a pastor visited him back in Tucson, Arizona, after he recovered. And he came to me and he said, he just wanted to tell you he's sorry for all the things he did and for the 300 bucks he never paid you back. That wasn't the issue. It was nothing. A couple months later, we got the news that D.D. had died. I'm saying this because God asked us to be discerning in prayer. And as, as John is writing, we are, we are seeing John speaking to the church and saying there's a, there's a tremendous way to intercede. But you can't intercede for everyone the same way. Sometimes as a brother, they can be brought back to Jesus. Other times they need to be born again. We have a lot of unborn people in churches today. It's just the real reality. I sat beside a pastor the other night after the graduation. He's there too. He's 50. He left his wife and two children at home. He said, I never knew till I got here. I'm only two weeks away from graduating. I never knew I'd never met God. And I was a pastor. Don't ever think because a man's a pastor, he does not deal with spiritual warfare. The war is real. The war is amazing. And it's, it's something that John is writing. And I believe what he's saying is, to one of my last shots, the church is, remember, you can be those prayer warriors discerning how to pray and keep praying. Keep praying. 18, verse 18, 17 and 18, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. John is reiterating what he has written in verse 16. We know that no one who is born of God sins. Wow. But he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. You might be discerning how to pray. John says no, no one that is born of God sins. Now, if we were, if we were here throughout the the teachings of 1 John, we see, no, no, if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and the truth isn't in us. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. But as, as, as I look at this, I, I, I just began to pray and read through this and I kept praying and reading. And the habit of sin, the desire of sin, the passion of sin, the bondage of sin leaves the child of God by God's grace. It leaves. That doesn't mean we don't sin. But what he's saying is, if you continue to sin habitually, continually, same patterns, same practices, same thoughts, oftentimes sin is like this massive thing. The enemy is, all he wants to do is get in our mind. That's all, it begins in the mind. It's not, it doesn't begin in our actions. He just wants to plant the seed in our mind. And as he plants the seed in our mind, it will begin to work down into our heart. And that will begin to work in an amazing way. But John says this, no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him. Here he is, Jesus keeps us. And the evil one does not touch us. If we're a child of God, God's going to keep us. He's going to protect us. He's going to lead us like we heard in our songs today. Hebrews 10, 26, a couple verses here for you. For if we go on sinning willfully, without repentance, we could put there, 
willfully, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there, re, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. We're rejecting God's sacrifice. If we say, I'm just going to go ahead and do it, I don't care. I don't care. And I'll do it again and again and again. I just take you back to the Word of God here. Psalm 19, verses 12 through 14. David had such a sensitive spirit toward God. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, willful sins, premeditated sins, planned sins. Let them not have rule over me, then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of the great transgression. I don't want to die without faith in God. And then he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. John goes on, though, and in verses 19 and 20, he begins to speak about this tremendous, overpowering presence of God that lives and reigns within us. He's saying, you can, you can just go to the bank with this. If you are a child of God today, you can claim this as his child. You can take this all the way to the king, to the throne of God. As, as we look at this together, we know, 19, that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Notice the confidence through which John writes. He's been teaching that we would know we have eternal life, that we would know that we are a child of God. And here he says, we know that we are of God. So this makes a big difference. When the enemy comes, and all the ways he comes, this is a big difference. The playing field changes completely when we know we're a child of God. But there's something else that we know. We know the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What he's saying is, John is saying, we are light, we are God's children, but all around us is darkness. It just surrounds us in every way. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true first. He's given us the understanding to know him who's true, and we are in him who is true second in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is a true God and eternal life. And John is saying, this is the essence of what I've been writing. This is the passion of my heart throughout the entire epistolary writing that we would know who, that he's true and we are in him that is true. You know, one thing is we know him. We get to know him. We know about him. We know about his, his salvation. We know about his work on the cross. But in him is when he moves within us and then fills us. He gives us the Holy Spirit without measure. He freely gives to us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. But if you notice this with me, what John is saying is, is, is he was signing off to the church, giving his last burdens, but what you can see him doing is, is saying, hold it. We're going to be surrounded by darkness, but we have the light of Jesus. All around us is darkness. All around us is warfare. But we have Jesus. 
if we know him who is true and we are in him that is true. Jesus spoke of this so many times, even the prayer of intercession, so many places. He, he passionately prayed this. He, he proclaimed this in so many ways. But in John 17, verses 13 through 18, Jesus says it like this. Speaking to his disciples, now I come to you that these things, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world even as I am not of the world. He was just stating the truth but this was his petition. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them out in the world. And what Jesus was saying there is, we're going to go out into darkness as light. We go out, and as we leave this place, there is no guarantee this week that we will not be involved in spiritual warfare on levels that we have not ever, ever even seen. God gives no, no guarantee of that. But he does give us this guarantee that we are of the day. We have the light of Jesus. We can be guided by that light. We can be protected by that light. And regardless of how dark it is out there, we've got Jesus. And it makes all the difference, not part of the difference, not some little part of the equation. When we have Jesus, we have everything. And there's not even a battle anymore because Jesus has already conquered. But the heart of Jesus was, Lord, help them understand the battle. I know that as a pastor, there are times we must tell you difficult things or we are truly not a servant of God. We are not. If all we ever say is what people want to hear, we are doing despite to the very spirit of grace and the word of God. And what the word of God is saying here is, yes, you're light, but you're surrounded by darkness. As you go out, as you be equipped, you have the Lord, you're of the day. He'll give you the power to resist, to say yes to God. And you'll know the, and then he says, then he ends this, and I love this in verse 20. And I think sometimes I just jumped over this in my own reading over the years. He says, this is the true God and eternal life. And John comes back and says, this is what I've been telling you about the true God and eternal life. The God that will never deceive you. The God that will never, ever let you down. The God who will never abandon you whatsoever. This is the true God and eternal life. And then he just kind of signed off. You notice how he did this? He just kind of like, okay, and little children, guard yourselves from idols. And for a moment, you probably think, well, that's kind of interesting. What last thought John had, why did he have that? And maybe it's because he knew that idols are maybe one of Satan's most clever ways to overthrow the church. What is amazing about idols is they're not bad things. 
Oftentimes, idols, as John says, uh, guard yourself, look out. They're going to attract you. They're going to allure you. Uh, they can be idols just unto yourself. They can be idols to my own opinions and my own belief system. Guard yourselves from idols. I was in a situation one time when I realized we were raising up an idol to ourselves. It's a subtle thing because it feels so good to talk about accomplishments and passion and people and how far we've came. But idols are an amazingly tough thing. Idols come because we look for perfect churches and perfect pastors. I remember several years ago, a long time ago now, it was back in the days when Joe Montana was the quarterback of, of the San Francisco 49ers. For those of you who remember, go figure. I lived in California. Joe was my age. They were winning big time, and it was right now at a playoff time, and I was preaching about idols. And I said, and guys, it could even be the 49ers. And after church, one of my best friends come up to me and he says, you know, John, you can mention anything you want about idols, but don't mention the 49ers right in the middle of the playoff game. <laughs> but that's where the idol is. It's at a different place than we first think. It's not a golden calf. It's not some Buddha emblem for us over in Myanmar. The idol is something that gets in our heart that rivals our worship for God and our love for others. And John, as he was signing this off, he says, uh, keep yourselves from idols. We can almost say, well, this is the last no John's giving. He's given a lot of no's. Maybe this is the last no. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10 with me. This was a church that was so steeped in idolatry, and I'm sure that was the worship of so many gods that surrounded them at Thessalonica. This is where it was. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. What he's saying is the church of Thessalonica turned back to God from an idol of their heart. You know why this is so close to me? Because I'm going to tell you something. My son is a nice guy. He would come in this church and we put him to work right away. But it, take, it took him going someplace for nine months and meeting God face to face to realize there was an idol in his heart that was keeping him from Jesus. I don't know if there's anyone like that here this morning. You know, you know the way we kind of know, and I'm just speaking to myself as I say that, if something flashes in the spirit, if it flashes, if there's something that comes up, and it could be, the list could just keep going on. I don't want to make a list. But John's last burden to the church was, church, keep yourselves from idols. Don't let them entangle you. Whatever is keeping you from worship, from praise, from love, 
from serving God completely. Keep yourself from it. But you know, I don't want to end the book on that note because if you go back to the verse before with me, he says, little children, guard yourself from idols. But right before this, he says, this is the true God and eternal life. John is saying, there is one to love. His name is Jesus. Let him be the love of your life. I can see him as he's finishing this epistle, how I want these people to just love Jesus, love him more than anything else. It doesn't matter how close that idol is coming. The one true God is the perfect lover to love because he's loving us before we loved him. He is moving toward us before we'll ever move toward him. And as we come to the end of the message, it's just been a good message for me. Idols might be that which keeps us from really focusing on that which we should be focusing on and discerning what we should be discerning to. It could be. But, but I know that in, in here today is someone who can't quite see the one true God in Jesus Christ. I know that. And I don't even know how that completely works. There is something about being born again that's like a mystery. This, the wind blows, you hear the sound. You can't hardly even tell where it came from and where it's going. But for you today, the message is that you have the privilege to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one true God who has overcome every God that is rivaling for his competition today in your heart. And I'll guarantee you in this heart, I don't think there is anyone in, the, in, the, in these seats today, including myself, that is not finding some God who wants attention that will rival the true God, Jesus Christ. And I just pray, though, if it is you today, today is the day to say, Lord, I want that power. I want to see you. I want, to, I want this message even to make sense. I want to understand that true God and his son, Jesus Christ. And I want to open my, open my heart that you can come in and that can happen. I don't know how it even happens. And I'll just tell you this whole thing about being born again, it's just flat over my head. It really is. It's just what God does in the heart of a man and a woman when they surrender completely to Jesus and he comes in and he, he puts his spirit in us. He gives us a power that we never had. And that's one of the reasons I just can't force you to an altar. I can't do that. Because that's God's work. That's God's spirit in you who is speaking right now and saying, I need to do something today. But that's God speaking to you. And whoever you are, don't let this message go over the top of you. Don't let the book go over the top of you. 
today is the day to say, Lord, I want to believe. And really, I come back and lock on that last phrase of the second last verse. He is the one true God and Jesus Christ. That's who he is. And he gives us the power to discern. He gives us the power to walk in the light. He gives us the power to walk as a Christian righteously in a very unrighteous world to say no where we don't want to, but he gives us the power. See, sometimes just resisting an idol is just saying no. I won't go there again by God's grace, but you can't do it unless he gives you the power. And when he gives you the power, it can happen. And amazing things can happen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you are the one true God, your son. You love so much that you gave him for that sacrifice for us, but you are the true God. Oh God, even within this sanctuary today, I pray that your spirit will still speak to someone about something that is keeping us from seeing you as the true God. How needy we are apart from you, Lord. How much we need your saving and amazing grace. And yet, Lord, how amazingly full, strengthened and fulfilled in Christ we are when we accept you as our Savior. But Lord, I pray that you would have the way in every heart here, and if, wherever, Lord, you have brought an idol to mind that is rivaling in any way your glory, I pray that you would give the person that's here the power to rebuke that in the name of Jesus, that it will come down so that no weapon that is formed against them will ever prosper because their heritage is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your way, Lord. Thank you for everyone that is here. May your will be done in Christ's name. Amen.